chapter 10, verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's, um, it's really great to sort of be here and bring the message this morning. I just want to say I've been really encouraged each week by the fact that so many people have you know, logged in online to Zoom despite being on Zoom at work all week long, having kids that are climbing up the walls it has been so amazing to see each week have come together to encourage each other. I have found that incredibly helpful. So I hope this morning will also be an encouragement to you. Uh, before I open up God's word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that even in times of strain and stress and uh, trial, that you speak to us and give us hope. Lord, as we contemplate over our freedoms by having lack of freedom at the moment, we hope that in this passage you will help us to better understand uh, how to love and glorify you. We pray that you transform our hearts so that we can be different people as we live. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Now, I think that it's pretty fair to say that there are actually two different kinds of people in the world. And these two different kinds of people have a really bad habit of butting heads with each other. Those two types of people are the people that love rules, and the people that hate rules. Those who love rules think rules are just so important because they give structure to life. They keep things organised. They create a beautiful space for perfect, amazing human interactions. But those who hate rules, well, they feel that they just overcomplicate things, they constrain things, and feel like, let's be honest, we probably would have done the right thing anyway, even if the rule hadn't been put in place in the first place. But whichever you are, love them or hate them, rules are actually very important. Why? Because each rule is a part of a system of rules that work together in order to achieve a certain goal. An example would be the fact that we all have to adhere to certain table rules as we meet together and dine together. We all know that it's not good to chew with our mouth open or eat with our elbows on the table. Why do these little individual rules seem to be so important? What difference do they actually make? Well, they are very important because together they form a system of rules 
that help demonstrate politeness to everybody else on the table. Not grossing out people or taking up too much room. The principle that holds all these rules together is politeness, which is the outcome that each individual rule together achieves. See, the idea of this principle that holds all these rules together is actually really important because it's the principle, not the rules, that we actually take into our day-by-day -day interactions with the world as we make decisions, particularly in those occasions that arise where things aren't so obvious, where the rules that are already set don't seem to fit so well. Eating at the table for another culture, cultural setting usually means a different setting of rules. But the principle of politeness still very much applies. Even if the rules are completely different and politeness looks very different, it's still the goal. But there's a big problem, isn't there? If there can be two or more types of politeness, how do we know which is the real type of politeness? What is the true type of politeness? Is there even a true politeness? And I think it's fair to say that we need to actually be clear on the goal. And in order to be clear on the goal and know the right system of rules, we need to know what the goal looks like. Because if we don't know what it looks like, we could be following all the rules but ending up in a destination that is completely wrong. As a church, we have been making our way through another block of Paul's letter to the Christians in Corinth. And so far, he has been encouraging all the, all the Corinthians to flee from sin, sinful practices which seem to have been misunderstood as actually the right and good thing to do. And in our passage this morning, Paul is drawing all the threads of all the rules that he's been applying to all sorts of different situations, showing that actually these rules aren't simply isolated rules. They're not arbitrary, and they, they are not without purpose. They are actually a part of a system of rules, and they are being held together by one principle, which is to glorify God. But what does this glorifying God actually look like? Because it's pretty because I'm pretty sure that if you were to ask any of the Corinthians, they would say, oh, yeah, we glorify God with everything we do. But we don't want to end up at the same destination that the Corinthians are at, do we? Following all the rules that lead to glorifying God in a way that does not actually bring glory and honor to God. It actually only brings a glorify, glorifying God that is only determined by their own personal understanding of what it is. And Paul wants the Corinthians and us to see that what glorifying God actually looks like by demonstrating how this principle applies to all sorts of situations that are obvious and not so obvious as they rise in, their, in our journey through life. He wants to show how what they look like, and he does so by first demonstrating the principle in action. Second, by affirming freedom. And third, he shows us by the glory of not offending. So please, if you're able, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to be starting at verse 23. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 23. At the start of the passage, again, like, all pre like a lot of the other previous passages, Paul begins by quoting another one of the slogans that the Corinthians have been quoting. These slogans have been so implanted in their head, much like a catchy pop song does. When one person starts singing it, then all of a sudden everybody starts singing without anybody realising that's what's happened. The slogan that Paul is referring to is in verse 23. All things 
are lawful. The slogan captures and sums up actually a lot of the past slogans that he's been quoting in regards to sexual immorality and the teachings about unclean, idolic food. The Corinthians were claiming to have freedom from restriction because they were saved by grace, knowing that they could never earn favour with God because Jesus did so on the cross. So therefore trying to abstain from anything was, well, it was really just works, wasn't it? It's just trying to earn salvation. And I wonder if you have ever thought this way. Ever thought that because you were saved by grace, that it doesn't actually matter what you do. God, after all, raised Jesus from the death, so therefore everything is now a party. Well, if you have thought this way, you're not alone. What was an issue is still very much an issue today. And it's because of this misunderstanding of what Christian freedom is. As Christians, we have what is called freedom in Christ. The fact that we are in Christ means that a great portion of the Old Testament laws no longer apply to us in the same way it once did. For example, you no longer have to regularly sacrifice livestock in order to atone for your sins because Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice, the one perfect sacrifice whose incredible value paid the debt of sin for the whole world, past, present and future. Our freedom also means that we are actually no longer enslaved to sin. We are set free from it in order to be able to live a life that we are called to live, lives that are shaped by Christ's own example. And it's that last bit where I think we and the Corinthians come unstuck. If you focus on the free from sin and Old Testament laws, without the to be able to, to imitate Christ part, well, what you're left with is a life not too different from a non-believer. Non-believers also don't observe Old Testament laws, and ignorance of sin is a form of personal freedom from sin. However, the big difference is that being saved by the death and resurrection of Christ means that we are able to live lives shaped by Christ, where a non-believer simply can't. A non-believer has to receive faith in order to respond to Jesus and therefore still bound to sin. Sin continues to completely guide thoughts and desires. But the believer has received faith, is able to embrace Christ, and now is guided by the Holy Spirit. This is true freedom, freedom in Christ. True freedom is to be bound to Christ. It's to be in Christ. But the Corinthians, with all their self-perception of Christian superiority, think that freedom in Christ means actually freedom without Christ, freedom to sleep with and eat whatever they want. <laughs> without much consideration for others. But if your actions are being shaped by the life and teaching of Jesus, then consideration for others should be at the very centre of your freedom. Freedom in the way the world understands it isn't at all the same as the freedom we find as Christians in Christ because freedom as the world understands it isn't actually freedom at all. 
the freedom of the world is actually enslavement to sin, to be completely manipulated and blinded by it. What the Corinthians think freedom is, is a freedom that is actually informed by the world, not Christ. Freedom from the wisdom of the world, not freedom from the wisdom of the cross. Which is why Paul, every time he quotes one of their slogans back at the Corinthians, in the very next breath, critiques it. Verses 23 to 24. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbour. The all things that Paul is referring to is still food. The Corinthians know that all food is actually now on the table and free to eat. The food laws that of what was clean and unclean in the Old Testament no longer apply. Why? Verse 26. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All food comes from God, so it can't be unclean. Yet, there's a bit of a grey area, isn't there? Paul, in this passage, in, the, in his passage, the passage last week, warned about the dangers of eating food sacrificed to demons or idols. Paul said that the Corinthians cannot eat food sacrificed to demons because participating with demons, eating and drinking as a Christian, is like holding the cup of the Lord in one hand and holding the cup of demons in the other. Which sounds a bit obvious, doesn't it? It's a bit of a no-brainer. It's pretty cut and dry. But if you know the historical context, you know the weight of what Paul is commanding the Corinthians to do. To be asked not to eat food sacrificed to idols was like asking someone to walk out into a landmine knowing that there's danger but not being able to see it. This is because the Corinthians back then, for them, most meat available in markets was originally food from an animal that was sacrificed to idols. So what Paul was commanding them to do was much like being asked to go to Coles Woolworths, but not to buy any of the home brands that they have. Some are a bit obvious, and you can tell, but some take a little bit more investigation to be sure. And so the rules don't easily apply, creating this gray area, because all food is lawful, but not all food is helpful. Now remember, the rules are a part of a system that are held together by a principle. And the principle holding these rules together is to glorify God, which means that they need to do things the way that shows their freedom while having concern for others. And it seems that knowledge plays a role here in how the principle works itself out in this gray area. Eat whatever is sold in the market, verse 25, or eat whatever is set before you at another person's house, verse 27. But just do it without asking questions for the sake of conscience. Wait, 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 Paul. Is food sacrificed to idols okay or is it not? Well, actually, it isn't the food that's the issue. It's the intention behind the food that is the issue, which is why Paul says in verses 28 to 29, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake 
of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. Okay, now, remember, Paul is using this grey area to demonstrate how this principle works itself out. All food is of God and therefore fine. But not all food comes from good intentions. Food sacrificed to demons is not a good intention. But that only matters if you know the history of the meat and that it is idolatrous. Why? Because of the person selling or serving it to you. If they know that you are a Christian and you are knowingly eating food sacrificed to idols, you are sending a pretty mixed message. The food isn't harmful in itself. The weak witness is what's harmful. A lot like someone known to be a vegetarian but knowingly eating meat kind of puts their vegetarianism into question. The principle of glorifying God means that it is wrong to eat or buy idolic meat knowingly because it demonstrates a weak commitment and a weak God. You may say you follow this God, but this God has no actual effect on your life. So the Corinthians lauding their freedom and eating whatever they wanted without consideration for others was just trying to have freedom without freedom in Christ. Because Christ demonstrated his willingness to sacrifice for the benefit of others on the cross. Giving a mixed message is therefore a problem for other people's consciences. Of course, this issue isn't limited to the sacrifice of idols. It's also not even limited to the first century. There are many things in our world today that we may be free to do or have, but it's the way we go about it and the importance we place on them can cause some pretty confusing messages. The same sort of messages the Corinthians report. Christians who engage in overdrinking, sexualized behavior, materialistic priorities, participating in certain social activities that don't actually reflect someone who is united to Christ, give out some really mixed messages. A classic example, I think, is how, how a future bride or groom acts on their bucks or hens night. Exercising freedom to drink, to have fun, but done in a way that causes confusion about their commitment to God and the God they supposedly are committed to. After years of heavy drinking myself before I became a Christian, I was really proud that when I came home from my Bucks party, I was actually still sober. And it's because I knew that half of the guys I invited to my Bucks night weren't Christians. And it was far more important for me to demonstrate how my faith in Christ had changed and shaped me than to over-exercise my own freedom in Christ. This is, this is an ancient Christian writer named Clement of Alexander, who I think just puts it so well. Those who take advantage of everything that is lawful rapidly deteriorate into doing what is not. And in doing so, they cause others to stumble, to fail to demonstrate fr true freedom to friends and family. Verses 23 to 24. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good 
of his neighbor. But does this concern mean that we should then be ashamed of what we're free to do? Would it then just be better to completely abstain, just in case? Well, no, because we are free in Christ to do many things. And that freedom is a gift. It's something that we should be very thankful for. But it's how we live out that freedom. Well, that's our next point, affirming freedom. In the next verse, in the next verse, after Paul says, do not cause issue of conscience, he is very clear that it's not the Christian's conscience he is actually worried about. Verses 29 and 30. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, my, why I am denounced because of that of which I am, which I give thanks. See, what Paul is saying is that, yes, doing things like eating sacrifice, meat sacrificed to idols knowingly in front of unbelievers isn't a good thing. But it's only not a good thing because of the weaker brother or unbeliever. It may cause stumbling rather than building up. But that doesn't change the fact that meat is actually just meat. And we know that we follow the one true God who revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And as his followers, we are free to eat whatever we want. All food is genuinely on the table. And we shouldn't be made to feel guilty by our non-believing friends who don't agree. They are not the judge. Christ is. Although in order to love a weaker brother or sister or an unbeliever, there are situations where we should abstain for the good of the gospel. And because sacrificing what we have for others is what glorifying God looks like. But at the same time, we should not feel guilty about our freedom because it is a gift from God, which he gave us through the cross. Just because we know people who don't eat certain foods because they follow false gods doesn't mean that we should be impeded by their conscience. Why? Because all things in creation are gifts from God. We are able to be thankful for them and partake of them in a way that brings glory to God, which means being thankful and being willing to sacrifice them for the good of the gospel. See, the situation Paul is describing here is of a Christian being spoken ill of because they eat whatever they like. Criticise not in the immediate example, but beyond the example. But if we as Christians let the criticism of unbelievers shape how we follow Christ, well, there won't be much left, will there? We are criticised about holding traditional stances on marriage and gender. We are criticised about wanting to be a part of the running and ordering of society, just like everybody else. We are criticised about seeing the value of humanity differently to others. We are criticised for being too friendly. We are criticised for wanting to follow Jesus and share the good news of Jesus to our friends, just the same as other people share their truth. And this goes on and on and on. But how do you deal with all this? Among the people you work with, your friends, or your family? What is it that they say or what is it that you think they say that makes you feel bad about being a Christian? 
that makes you feel constrained because you're a Christian? Well, whatever it is, it simply shouldn't because it is exactly what Jesus said would happen. As the people of God interact with the people of the world, John 15, 18 to 19, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. There is no need to feel guilty or bad about being spoken ill of by the world's standards because the world will always hate us. Instead, be proud and empowered by the freedom that we have in Christ because it is true freedom. The freedom the world thinks is so great is actually enslavement to sin, to only desire things that destroy rather than breathe life. We have true freedom, which is the freedom in Christ to glorify God. Freedom to have and freedom to sacrifice for the good of the gospel. And there's that principle again, to glorify God, which is the goal of all the rules that Paul has been talking about. And at this point, it seems like Christians, in order to glorify God, have to hold both sacrificing for the concern of others and being confident in our freedom at the same time. But it's the principle that makes them not two different things, but actually the same thing. So long as the rules we are following are leading to the correct destination. But how do we know? Well, that's the next point, the glory of not offending. So how do we hold two very different things at the same time? How do we have concern for others and how, and how do we also be confident in our own freedom? We can hold them together because they are part of the greater system of rules. They are held together under the one principle, which is to glorify God. But how do we know what glorifying God actually looks like. Well, as we go about our weeks, verses from verse 32, give no offence to, to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try, try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul's principle is based on the pattern that Christ set for us, which he imitates and wants us to imitate. And that pattern is shaped by the wisdom of the cross. On the cross, Christ made the ultimate sacrifice for us in obedience to the Father. On the cross, he shows us that even with his power and divine status, he freely chose to glorify his Father by giving up what he had for the sake of others. And that is how we know what the principle looks like. Jesus showed us what it looks like. When Paul says, give no offence, he doesn't mean never, ever, ever offend anyone, ever. Because let's be honest, the gospel is pretty offensive. 
It calls people to recognize their own sin. It calls people to reorientate their lives towards God. What Paul means and has been meaning over these last couple of chapters is that we shouldn't be, we shouldn't let our freedom offend others in a way that makes sharing the gospel even more difficult. Don't be don't be a Christian of mixed messages of mixed messages or a weak witness. Instead, freely we should sacrifice our freedom that we have in Christ so that we don't cause offence and please others. We do this so that others can also be saved. That is how we glorify God in all we do. Being grateful for what we have, but willing to sacrifice for the good of others. So this week, ask the question, are you doing all things to glorify God? Are you doing whatever you want because you can or because it will benefit others? One thing you can do this week is reach out to one of your unbelieving friends or family and invite them to join us over the next couple of weeks as Huey and Mike preach the gospel clearly and unashamedly. This may take up time. This may take up energy. And it will require sacrifice. But it's a sacrifice that you should make for the good of the gospel and to glorify God. So wherever you are out there in Zoom land, even if you can't leave your house, remember the principle that holds all the rules together. That way, when you follow them and exercise your freedom in Christ, you will end up in the correct destination, the destination where you truly glorify God the way he deserves to be. And if you don't know this freedom that you can have in Christ, then today is the day that you can be set free. Ask how in the discussion groups after church. For the rest of us this week, do what is lawful in a way that is helpful. Do what is lawful in a way that builds up. Glorify God in all that you do by imitating Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that through your son, he sacrificed for us on the cross, that we do have freedom, a freedom to do many things that you have gifted us. Help us to be continually thankful for that gift. Help us to exercise that gift in the way that he is concerned for others and not for ourselves. Help us know when to hold these gifts and when to let go of the good of the gospel. And, Lord, give us the strength and perseverance that we may be able to glorify you in all that we do. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.